given the level of market volatility and uh, news, we thought it would be good to update you on what we see going on in the world and markets and economy, and also um, answer some of the questions that we think you're likely to have. Uh, so uh, as in the past, uh, I'll kick this off with a really sh short introduction and then turn it over to Christians where we'll take a deeper dive into some of the uh, significant uh, areas that we want to focus on, which are will be what's going on with COVID-19 or the coronavirus um, and what the impacts to the economy and markets are likely to be. <clears throat> so if we start off a couple months ago, if we had a call with any one of our clients, we might have said that the economy, the global economies, uh, the consumer corporate balance sheets were in really good shape and that uh, things were kind of moving along with slow and steady growth and enter the coronavirus and uh, the whole picture has changed. The virus has spread rapidly and markets have responded with <clears throat> strong volatility, stock prices have plummeted, and if you've noticed, bond yields have gone to historic lows and that's because investors are seeking safe havens. Um, and so interest rates are at all time lows we haven't seen in our lifetime. Aside from um, the human, um, the, the human uh, concerns and fatalities, uh, the biggest concerns from uh, how we work with all of you is the damage to the economic, the global economies. Uh, and then the question about uh, what is the risk that this leads to a recession? Uh, unlike a normal recession, which kind of piles on and, and it's sort of a, 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 a vicious cycle that feeds on itself, this is a very, we're in a very different situation. This is a shock to the system. And depending on how quickly this gets resolved will help determine the severity of the shock to the economy. Um, so a couple, couple other things here. So the last time we've had a significant downturn was in the 2008 mark, uh, mark, uh, mortgage market collapse. Uh, and unlike then, while there was a great risk of recession and, and we, the, the news headlines were about moving, possibly moving into a depression, the global financial markets today are very healthy. Uh, they weren't back then and they are today and they almost shut down back then. Um, and also it was in 2008, it was difficult to, to uh, imagine how the world was going to avoid some type of collapse. Uh, here, uh, we're in a very different situation. Um, we can avoid a global pandemic and all it takes is um, a, some modern medical science and possibly some um, work on the part of governments to isolate the, the illness. Uh, the other good news is governments will provide significant monetary and fiscal stimulus in light of the crisis. Uh, as we noticed last week when the Fed Reserve dropped interest rates 50 basis points and other central banks around the world are following suit. So what we expect going forward is that there will be lots of volatility over the next several weeks and perhaps months. If we look out longer term, there will be significant rebound in the markets. Um, going back to previous um, uh, epidemics or pandemics, SARS, the worst period, uh, the, the market had declined by 12.8%. Six months later, it was up 27.8%. The avian flu back in 2004, the worst period saw the markets down 6.9%, but then they had recovered 12.6% six months later. MERS in 2012, the worst period, the markets were down 3.8%, but then within six months, the markets were up 
Ebola in 2013-14, the markets at their low were down 5.8%. Within six months, they were up 11.3%. Zika virus in 2015 and 16, the markets were down 12.9%. And six months later, they were up 19.5%. In all cases, once the, the health scare had begun to dissipate where we saw a, a solution, the markets recovered. We expect the same to happen here. It's just not clear exactly how long it will take to, to have a, a, a solution to the, the health problem. But we do expect that uh, some point after we, within the next near term, meaning six plus months or so, uh, to see a, a significant rebound in the markets. So with that, I'll uh, uh, pass it on to Christian uh, to maybe go into a little bit more detail about what you see. Yeah, hi everybody. Um, so I'll talk for about uh, five, 10 minutes, hopefully tops. And if you have any questions, uh, I think there should be a, um, a chat box up on the web to, uh, to, put, to put your question answers in. And if not, feel free to direct message me on the following number and I'll give it out twice. 203-435-7903. Again, area code 203-435-7903. Four three five seven nine zero three, and just feel free to throw in questions as things go along. So, um, okay, just to start out here, this is uh, certainly a day for uh, one of the record books. Um, anyone who's gone through the early '80s, uh, '87, the '90-'91 long-term capital markets, the 2001-2002, and the various bouts of volatility you have since then, you know, this is right up there with them. This is a this is a, a very weekday. Um, and what what we see now is the uh, the 10-year government yield of 0.5%. As Steve mentioned, that's a record low. Not in real terms, but in nominal terms, it certainly is. And I'll come back to that later. And we've also got the US yield curve all below 1%. So every single treasury bill going out from overnight out to 30 years is now below 1%. Again, that's not happened before. Um, the S&P is now down about 18% from its peak in, uh, in early, Jan early February, down 14% for the year. Uh, for the 12 months, it's still a positive number, only just. Um, and the other markets year to date uh, are sort of similar, similar magnitude, in some cases greater. The European market's down about 17, US small cap down about 22, which you'd expect. Uh, emerging markets down 9 and 9.11, and, and international down about 11. Um, but they actually had a much weaker 2019, so they were coming up and falling down from a lower base. Um, so what's caused all this? Well, uh, let's get on to the broad reasons in a minute, but most immediately we've just had the Fed cut. Now they came out the Friday before last, and then again on the Monday, and then last Tuesday, uh, it seems like a year ago, but it's a, it was a week tomorrow, they cut the federal, the federal funds by 50 basis points. They very rarely a cut by 50 basis points, it's usually in 25 basis point increments, and two, do it outside of a meeting. The next meeting is scheduled for March the 18th. So this was very, sort of not completely unprecedented, but very unusual move by the Fed. And I think that they're finding out that, uh, you know, one and done is very hard to do. The market didn't have the reaction that uh, I'm sure the Fed governors hoped it would last Tuesday, which was to put a tank full of confidence into what was a sinking market. But um, it, it shows how difficult it is to use monetary policy in these types of environments. And risk assets just don't respond 
you know, positively, positively to, you know, every dovish impulse by a central bank. I think what the market is saying is that, yes, we're glad that the central banks seem to be realizing that easing is a good thing. You don't want to leave, the, leave it too late. You don't want to have a policy error, but it's probably not enough. There's going to have to be other entrants on the stage at some, at some point to make this uh, more bearable to the markets. And of course, the other entrants really are only on the uh, fiscal side. Um, so um, as, as at the moment, the fiscal response from major economies, including the US, has been uh, little to, to zero. So I think that's what the markets are, are waiting for. Um, so why has all this happened? Well, obviously, front and center is the recession fears that the virus causes. And this, this, this is really what is broadly called a supply shock, but it's a kind of a grand way of saying, look, if people can't get to work or serve in restaurants or produce the things that they're meant to be doing in, in uh, factories in the US or service economies uh, elsewhere, then there's just gonna be less uh, things and services for people to buy. But those supply shocks, as we've known from the past, can very quickly run into demand shocks where the same people who are out of work suddenly don't have as much available money to spend as, as they did. Uh, discretionary spending goes down, confidence goes down, and pretty soon you're in a pretty big downward, downward spiral. Now we're not there yet, but the, but the, but the fears are very much that there'll be a, um, uh, a shock to the economy and possibly you know, moving into slight recession territory. And I'm talking globally here, not just the US. Um, at the moment, really, on the grand scale, we're talking about four countries, China, Italy, Korea, and Iran. Most of those, uh, the China number of cases seems to be ameliorating quite a bit. It's about 10, 10 people a day in a population of 1.3 billion. But Italy and Korea and Iran are definitely trending up. And then the news over the weekend that Italy uh, has quarantined about 11 northern states, which is about a quarter of the population, about two-thirds of GDP, um, obviously has sent um, a lot of a lot of concerns uh, through throughout the market. What will happen in the U.S. is it's really too early to say. We had great employment numbers on Monday, but uh, that survey was taken three weeks ago, which in these fast-moving times is equivalent to ancient history. So no one's really looking at any of these um, economic numbers right now. They're not they're not coming through in in the ones that that matter and that we all measure. Uh, but they will. Uh, things will slow down for sure. We'll probably see it in things like consumer surveys next time around. It always showed up in the beige book last week, which is the corporate sector. Um, I'm sure some consumer confidence will be start to take a hit, and then it'll show up in things like uh, retail sales. But the one area which we would be looking at is what happens in the claims market. That's every Thursday morning. That's been very solid. It's been about 220,000 claims um, jobless claims uh, every week. That's a very low number by historical standards, but that's where it'll start to show up if the corporate sector starts getting frightened. But I don't think it's going to show up yet because typically the corporate sector, what it does in response to these types of shocks, and let's call it both a supply and a demand shock, is first of all, stop hiring. Um, and that won't show up in the claims numbers. Then it might move about it move on to letting people go. But that's a bigger decision because you have to retrain people, rehire people, and you really, you're not in a position to take advantage of any snapback in the economy if you start doing that. So I think what we're likely to see is a, is a slight fallback in hiring numbers and hiring expectations, but nothing will show up in claims yet. 
Um, the other thing that's going on is, and this is, I wrote about it in the blog, um, I think it's very important is that, you know, unlike 2008, 2009, there's no massive leverage in the sector and an illiquidity event which could really stall things out and bring the economy to a grinding halt. The household sector is indebted, but it's, uh, it's much lower as a percentage of personal income than it was five years ago, 10 years ago. The, the household was very severely frightened by what happened in 2008. It's essentially been deleveraging ever since. Uh, and debt service costs as a, as a potential personal income are incredibly low. It's the same for the corporate area generally. Corporate um, borrowing has been relatively high, but it's matched against quite high cash expectations. And companies still have, they don't like to do it, but they can cut, uh, cut their dividends. And of course, they can cut back on share buybacks, which are equivalent to about 4% of the S&P put together. But there isn't generally a lot of excess in the corporate sector, except in some high yield areas, um, particularly and the Kraft Heinz of the world, the kind of companies which have just had massive execution area uh, mistakes, uh, and the energy sector. I mean, the US oil and sh shale and gas and energy sector is really only profitable about, about 55 to $65 a barrel. At today's price at 35, there'll be a lot of them who will, who's, who will either start defaulting on their bonds or will go into you know, some sort of liquidation. So that's one area which, um, which is gonna show up in the corporate sector. And the government sector is certainly not uh, uh, an as good shape, but I worry less about that just because the US borrowing capacity is very, very high. I know we get worried about the, the budget deficit numbers, and there were some pretty reckless uh, tax revenue cuts um, a year and a half ago, which have spiked up the deficit as a percent of GDP, but it's still only the marketable side of it. It's only about 75% of GDP. I say only because there's a lot of other countries that, that can borrow way ahead of that and actually borrow at rates less than the US. So we don't want to see an explosion in US debt, but it's something that uh, I think the markets can handle very, very, very well. So uh, yes, what, one, one for the record books has said, um, I don't know how the next few days are going to be. Um, we, we are seeing a, a, lot of, a lot of stocks go down. There isn't much, many, many places safe to hide. We've just seen a, a few things in stocks like Dollar General, Walmart, a few of the healthcare stocks have gone up, but these are really just uh, stories which tend to do well if there's a big uh, recession on the horizon. Talking about the recession, the US economy is actually quite good shape. I covered some of these points um, in the blog, I've covered some already, but the consumer, is in relatively good shape, business owners are in good shape. What's not so good on a global side is you know, Chinese manufacturing and services, which are still recovering from the trade talks, slash wars, stuff, whatever you, know, uh, you want to put behind them, but were pretty disastrous for world trade in 2019. And US manufacturing is only just recovering from that hit from the trade wars plus the Boeing uh, problems. So that, that will at least postpone some of those things. Um, and now we just kind of sit and wait. Um, this is not a time to you know, move to cash in big numbers. I think it is a good time to continue to put protection on the markets. And um, we've, as many of our clients know, we've had a very large proportion of our investments in treasuries. And we were there because you don't have a, uh, a credit risk event. Um, you know, corporate credit, credit uh, bond yields will, uh, spreads have widened out, whereas treasuries are, are still the ultimate um, safety trade. And we've also had the floating rate notes, which have helped a lot. 
And we've also had a fair amount, uh, a low amount in, in emerging markets and, and international, though those are going to start getting interesting again uh, if, they, if they have another leg down. And of course, also what we've had is the various different structured notes. These are ways to protect the downside, cap the upside for sure, but they protect the downside in some of these equity uh, market uh, sell-offs both here and, and overseas. And actually most of those bonds that we've done um, have been better than being in the long position and have turned out to be quite positive. Christian, the... So there we are. So, um, sorry, um, um, we're, we're, we're not taking a big scalpel to the portfolios. We think they're in fairly good shape. Um, we still have a very good high quality bias in all of the uh, equity and fixed income exposure. Um, and I think we just kind of wait for this to, uh, to, to run down over the next two or three days um, to kind of get the panic selling out of the way. I think, Christian, one of the questions that, you know, I've heard from a few people is what should we be doing now? And I think part of the message, though, nothing has been done. Uh, one of the things that Christian alluded to was were some of the changes we've made in terms of adding treasuries, structured notes, buffered notes, uh, reducing what we had in emerging market foreign and also higher quality bond portfolio and equity portfolio. Those are things that we actually have been preparing over the last two years. So rather than. Uh, there are many, many things that changes we've made already in the portfolios uh, to, to, to be in a position to have protection in a case like this. So uh, it's not as though there are, as you mentioned, uh, I think my, I'm not sure I like to take the huge, what was it, scalpel to the portfolio? Um, We're not doing that. No. We're not, yeah, not doing that. <laughs> I, I, there's not really much to do because we've already positioned the portfolios for this, but I think there are going to be some opportunities coming out the other end of this too, once we start to see some clarity of where the markets settle out. Yeah, it's um, a question that came up on the on the web. That's great. Um, I'm reading it real time, so it might be a question I can't answer. But with the confidence that the markets are going to rebound, isn't it a good time to buy some stocks that have been beaten down for no good reason? Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, there's the whole metaphor of, you know, catch a falling knife. It could go another 5 or 10%. Um, the market's not gotten really cheap. It's gone down from about 18 times earnings to about 16 times today. And where it was really cheap was in December 2018, where it got down to about 14 times. And if it got down to that level, I'd have no hesitation in jump, jumping straight in. But at the moment, we've got markets revaluing re, re themselves from a pretty high multiple, 18, to a slightly less high one at 16. Um, and we know that we're going to have flat earnings this year at best, and some parts of the stock market, energy, energy is only 5% of the S&P, but it's a much bigger number of S&P earnings, more like 12%. They've taken a huge hit. So I don't think that the, uh, um, there might be some tech stocks that are good, quite quality, but I think for now, uh, there's a reason that every stock went down. I think, unfortunately, there's very good reasons why these stocks are down. I don't think, um, a lot of them going to have uh, big, big comebacks because they they were pretty expensive to begin with. Another question, though, that comes up, Christian, is if you have the difference of jumping in versus someone who has new money to invest in the markets, and what would be a strategy? Oh, I think in uh, in, in no doubt that anybody putting money into the market. Uh, should do it over the, sort of the next six months in kind of equal right. installments. So if, if you bought on a day like today, we'll probably get a snap back tomorrow of two to three percent. That's kind of the way things work with the short coverings and so on. Um, you know, it'll probably be probably good. It might be down another five percent a month from now. 
but the chances are that if you can stick to a six month um, uh, dollar cost averaging, slowly getting into the market, I think that will look very good within about a year or two. I agree. I think that makes a whole lot of sense. We have another writing question actually from one of our clients and it says, what's the best advice for investors of our age, 73, 75, who don't have 20 to 30 years to recoup our losses? And you know, I, um, I perfectly uh, understand that question and, you know, and sympathize with it. I, I think, first of all, we've got to think about uh, you know, a very balanced portfolio for someone between 70 and 75 who's looking to live off that portfolio for you know, probably another 20 years where the equity exposure should be between about 40 to 50%, depending on personal needs, current needs, and so on, personal circumstances. And then the fixed income side should be the other half where you know, we will see, uh, Treasury is obviously doing very well, but the yields um, kicking off that bond portfolio should be in the region of about two to 3%. I think that's where the, the best kind of recouping of losses should be. Also, um, also using the, the equity notes, because those are, those are a very good way to participate in the upside um, and have some downside protection. You don't do as well as if, if the market really takes off, but I, you know, I think as a brave person right now, I think that the market's going to return 30% over the next um, 12 months. Um, I'd, I'd much rather see protection uh, taken out in those types of notes. Well, also bonds have buffered the portfolio to a great extent because if stocks have gone down, bonds have gone up pretty, pretty dramatically. So in looking at client portfolios, uh, they haven't really gone down, um, you know, no. in, a, in a big way at all. So uh, That's right. th that question about I don't have, you know, 20 to 30 years to recover, portfolios have really been held relatively intact even during this during this damage, and that's just because they're the bonds, but primarily, but also the buffer notes. That's right. Um, looking across client portfolios, with the S&P from peak to top February 19th peak to now, it's down about 17%. Our more balanced portfolio is down only seven, eight, nine, well within recovery levels. Um, and um, as allocation, as we've said, um, should account for most, should do most of the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And then also the, the, our, our normal policy to, in terms of managing the portfolio, uh, as you know, we're not market timers. Uh, we don't sell everything and then and go right back in again, but we do have a, a uh, discipline of rebalancing the portfolios, which is after market drops to take money out of uh, the safe asset classes to move back into stocks at cheaper prices and on run-ups to trim some of the, uh, uh, the appreciated assets of stocks and move them back into bonds. So that's a discipline of basically, um, you want to call it buy low, sell high, taking money off the table after big runoffs, putting money back to work, which we will look at with all client portfolios here as well. So if there are opportunities to put money to work uh, in, in, in uh, markets or specific areas of the stock market, that makes sense. Uh, we'll be looking at that over the next several months. Um, I, I, I kind of whipped through the slides really because I talked around most of them, but I'm gonna leave this one up at the end here. I don't know if we can slide off the question and answer one if that's fine. That's how that okay. you can't see they can't see that. Okay. Well that this is interesting because we've now joined the the, the global world of, of low rates. Um, over there on the right hand side I did this um, I think this is from Friday when the 10 year was 0.91. It's almost half from that level now, 0.57 quite quite outstanding. But there we are. 
were there with Japan and the UK uh, and Switzerland, Germany, uh, and you know, I've, probably about 20 other countries uh, have rates lower than the US right now. So we're in this kind of very low rate world. Now, what does that mean? I mean, clearly the bond market is saying that a Fed cut is going to come, recession is likely, demand for credit is going to is going to decline, um, and the, the stocks are just kind of kind of have to follow in that wake. The, the bond market is all about expectations on on yield and rates, and the Fed has been fairly dovish. Now, how low how low could it go? Well, if you if I if you asked me a year ago, could the 10-year go below 1%, I'd say, well, that's a brave bet. I don't think it ever would. But now we've got the 30-year below 1% and the 10-year at 0.5%. So we are hitting you know, records as we, as we speak. I think we're going to be in a low-rate environment for quite a time. I don't think I'm going to stick around at 0.5. Uh, that's the new 0.9 from the chart for exceptionally long time because the U.S. does have a dynamism and a, uh, and a an ability to grow um, and respond in a way that many of these other countries don't, particularly Japan and Germany. Uh, but it's going to take some coordination. It's coordination we're not seeing at the moment. We also talked this morning about about the U.S. and and its um, its vulnerability in a in a virus um, world. And my own feeling is that the U.S. is a little bit more vulnerable just because we've got this healthcare system where 40 million people are either unemployed or un un uninsured or underinsured. And so how are they going to be able to cope with a test which might cost them thousands of dollars? We also have a lot of people in the service and gig economy, probably another 25 million who might should be maybe staying at home but can't afford to. Um, and we also don't have any uh, sick pay uh, leave uh, mandated uh, as most other countries do. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the response to this, you know, whether it's state at state level or government level. But you know, until I see sort of proof otherwise, I think the U.S. could be pretty vulnerable to this, and perhaps more so than other countries. Okay, so uh, I don't, we don't see any other questions. Um, so we want to just uh, mention that we we believe the portfolios are in. Um, we're we're very comfortable with the, the portfolio despite the volatility, and we think the portfolios will do well in this environment. Uh, will be Christian will be writing his blog on a weekly basis. So if you'd like to see additional updates on our thinking, uh, you can catch that every at, at the end of the week, usually Fridays, when he publishes his uh, his blog, which will give updates on the economy, this, the coronavirus, and then how the markets are doing. In the meantime, we'll be watching the markets and the economy and the spread of the coronavirus very carefully. Uh, but again, as we said, we we've already prepared the portfolio, so there's nothing we need to do at this point in terms of additional protections, because we're already there in our view. And now we'll be looking for opportunities, um, uh, which for first question that we had, I think is not right on. Uh, we think it's too soon to jump in both feet uh, because there'll be plenty of volatility. These things take a long time. I've been through this many, many times over decades. And these things never sort themselves out over short periods of time. They take months to kind of work their way through because market gyrations are all based on emotion and it takes quite a while for people's emotions to kind of settle out. So this call is recorded. We would post it on the blog, on the website. Um, if you happen to be listening on this on a delayed basis and have a question, please contact us. Yes, please. Uh, either email any one of us, cthwaites at bnjadvisors.com 
uh, or text me at 203-435-7903 or just use our whatever contacts you have within the firm. We'll get it to the right person. Okay, thanks very much Thank everybody you. for joining today. Thank you.